Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. Sonoma County's Russian River Valley and Fruity Pinot Noir are practically synonymous. Olivet Lane Vineyard, planted in 1973 by the Pellegrini family, is not only one of the first Pinot Noir vineyards in the area, but also the source of fruit for some of the region's finest producers. I sat down with Fred Reno, president of Pellegrini Wine Company and Olivet Lane Vineyard, to talk about the heritage of the site and to taste some delicious wine. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditor.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditor.com. Hi, I'm John Lennart. We're here at Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouse in Chicago. Joining me today is Fred Reno, president of Olivet Lane Vineyard and Pellegrini Wine Company. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Olivet Lane's sort of this uh, iconic place in Russian River Valley. Right. Give me a little bit of history behind it. Well, let me step back just before that so you can put it in context. Um, the Pellegrini family who owns Olivet Lane Estate, they started Pellegrini Wine Company in 1925. Robert's grandfather, Robert Pellegrini, who is the active CEO today, his grandfather, Nello, and his grandfather's brother started Pellegrini Wine Company in San Francisco selling grapes, Sonoma County grapes, to winemakers all over the country. And then in 1933, with repeal, they were the first people to open a winery in San Francisco, uh, right on 3rd Street, downtown. And they were producing wines from Sonoma County grapes for the better restaurants and shops in San Francisco. When Robert's father, Vincent Pellegrini, took control of the company and direction in the late 50s, that's when they opened up a distribution company and an importer. And at one time, they were one of the largest distributors in the San Francisco Bay Area. In fact, as a joke one day, Robert said, yeah, some people ask me why we ever got out of the distribution business. And he said, my response was Young's and uh, Southern Wine and Spirits made that decision for us. Uh, just tongue in cheek, if you will. <laughs> but to Olivet Lane Estate in the vineyard in 1973, Vincent Pellegrini, Robert's father, had the foresight to go up in the Russian River and buy a parcel of land. So they bought this, like a lot of people had done in the 70s, 80s, bought a parcel of land. It was an orchard, apple orchard, prunes. And they started working with a doctor from uh, UC Davis, uh, Dr. Kazmata, to help them decide, okay, what are we going to plant in this property? And uh, they decided they were going to plant Chardonnay because Chardonnay was happening. Now, here's a factoid that I find hard to still believe. In 1971, they had done a survey, the UC Davis, and they could only identify 500 acres of bearing Chardonnay fruit in the state of California. Really? Yeah. It doesn't seem like much even in the 70s. It's amazing that it's that small, right? Yeah. So they're working with him, and it's a 60-acre vineyard, and they said it like good Italians. Well, we want to have a red varietal. And so the doctor says to him, well, my research suggests that Pinot Noir might do very well out here. Yeah, you know, because in Burgundy, it might doesn't do so bad <laughs> next door to one another. And, and, you know, you think about, well, Russian River Pinot, it's a given, right? Today? But in 1973, there was they were one of the pioneers. There was only two other producers. Yeah, was who Martinelli then? No, actually, the two were... Um, um, why is it escaping me right now? It'll come to me. Swan? 
Swan, sure. Okay, and Rocchioli. Okay, Swan and Rocchioli. Yeah. They had Pinot Noir in the ground. Yeah. So they weren't, uh, Pellegrini's weren't the first to plant Pinot Noir, but they were in the very Pioneering beginning. for sure. Exactly. So 1975 was the first vintage from the vineyard. And this year, 16, the harvest we just finished, was our 41st harvest from the original vines. These are quite possibly the oldest Pinot Noir and Chardonnay so vines in Russia. So they didn't suffer ever. from phylloxera in the late 80s, early 90s? Nothing, I, nothing. Uh, and in wow. fact, they're on the AXR rootstock. So you go figure. And the original clonal selection was heritage clones from Martini for Pinot Noir and uh, Chardonnay Wente. And that is today the 41st harvest, and I can tell you all vines matter, and it's something special. So, so let's talk about you. You're the president of the company. You're not the winemaker. You're the no. president of the company. How did you get into wine? Where where did that where that happen? Well, <laughs> about 40 years ago, I decided I was going to try to make a career out of wine, and uh, I'm a boy from Detroit, Michigan. This is a Midwestern. Yeah, Midwest. Yeah. Never drank any wine or anything, but got exposed to wine by my girlfriend at the time and got enthralled, just like wine is capturing everybody. And of all things, I ended up moving to Washington, D.C. and started in the retail wine business in Washington, D.C. in 1979. I never did retail anything in my life. The only reason I took that job was because nobody would hire me for the first seven months I was in D.C. because I had no experience in the wine business. And I was talking to importers and distributors and everybody, and nobody would hire me. And I would say to them, well, yeah, I don't have any experience, and I'm not going to get any if you don't hire me. Best thing that ever happened to me, <clears throat> because at that time, the retailers in D.C. are the movers and shakers in the wine business, not the importers or the distributors. And the reason for that is because the District of Columbia, outside of the state of California, is the only free market in alcoholic beverage in America, even to this day. Having never been a state, it has no archaic beverage laws. Right. And so it has a very simple premise that you as a licensee, whether you're a retailer or a restaurateur, if you cannot buy the alcoholic beverage, this is not just wine, it's all alcoholic beverages. If you cannot buy the alcoholic beverage of your choice from a local distributor, or if you can't buy it in a quantity from the local distributor you want, you have the right to go to the primary source, and if they'll sell it to you, so you, you can buy it through a distributor then if the distributor doesn't carry it in D.C. You can bring it in, pay the taxes, and it's yours. And we were, in fact, I remember giving Francois Favely his first container order when he left Dreyfus Ashby in 1981. Uh, so I started in retail wine, was fortunate enough to learn a lot in four and a half years there. Moved on, got involved as uh, Bill Hill, William Hill Winery's first salesperson, became vice president of sales and marketing. Uh, built that up, left there, and ended up as Vice President of Sales Marketing at Sonoma Couture. And was doing that for seven years, and after 12 years of national sales, all over the country, I was looking for a change and an opportunity. I always wanted to be president of a wine company. Were you at Sonoma Couture before or after the sale? Before. Before the sale, okay. Before the sale. And I left there in 1995 and took a position as the president and CEO of a failing California distribution company called the Henry Wine Group. And over the 15 years uh, under my tutelage, we became the largest independent, and I stress independent, fine wine distributor in America operating in seven states. And then I left there in 19, or 2009, thought I was retired, 
And Jess Jackson was a good friend of mine, actually been a partner in a couple of my distribution companies in Arizona and Washington, D.C., was a silent partner under the Henry Wine Group brand name. He talked me into going back to work at Jackson Family Wine in 2010 uh, to come in and do new brand development and to develop a series of wines from primarily Pinot Noir from their coastal vineyards from Oregon all the way down to Santa Barbara. And so I did was fortunate enough to work directly with all the winemakers. Uh, nothing got bottled until I was involved in the last blending decision, so I don't know how to make wine, but I certainly know how to taste wine and what I think can sell. So did that for five years, felt I was retiring again, was doing some consulting, and Robert Pellegrini, who I'd known for a number of years, called me one day, uh, basically March 1st, Last year is when I came on as a consultant for the Pellegrini Wine Company. He asked me to come in and help him work on his distribution, his branding strategies. They had reopened the winery. The winery had been closed for two years, and didn't, no wine was made there in 11 or 12. Uh, there was a family dispute uh, between a number of the family members. It wasn't specifically about the wine business, but it got capped part of this whole thing. Sure. And then in 2013, Robert Pellegrini, his mother, Ida, who's alive and is 93 years old and doing fine, they came out of the whole thing with the winery, the vineyard, the trademarks, everything else. And then Robert reopened the winery with the harvest in 2013. It's, that's spectacular. You know, it's interesting in that that's four generations of a family in it's the same business. Generation. and. A four-generation winery in California is like this unheard of thing. It's it, it's it's ancient, really, yeah. by today's standards in California. Is there a family philosophy that you're, you're responsible for carrying through when it comes to the wine? Well, yeah, the the, the family has two objectives here. First of all, uh, Robert's uh, daughter Alexia is in as COO of the company, and she's been there since the reopening of the winery, doing you know everything necessary to get the winery reopened and everything. But what Robert wants here is to preserve the legacy of Olive Lane Estate and all the years and the historic years. And additionally, to preserve the legacy of what his father and his father before him had started as Italian immigrants into this country devoted to the wine business. And Robert's excited about the potential of what we can do with this broader merchant company that we want to build under the Pellegrini Wine Company label and to become importers again and to start to bring in some really top wines from Burgundy, Beaujolais, and some small estates in Italy. So an Italian family working with French varieties <laughs> in California. Exactly. It's this kind of great... Uh, confluence of three cultures. Well, and you know, I can't, I can't tell you about the clash I get because Burgundy is my love. That's what got me in this business 40 years ago. Sure. The first time I had a bottle of Burgundy, I went, whoa. Now I understand. Now <laughs> I understand. And I can tell you what that bottle was. 69 Clovis Joe from Rennie Angel. Oh, you didn't start off in a bad way, did you? I did not. I got you lucky. You didn't start off at the bottom. Not at all. So Declan Burgundy was affordable. Yeah, very. And so I basically use this as a benchmark in the Italian family. I said, Robert, you have to understand part of this branding, this is a monopole vineyard. This is one of the true 
honest crew vineyards in all of California for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. It's been vetted by the various people who have you have sold grapes to, and we continue to sell grapes to, who have made wine. Have, sure, William Selium. William Selium. William Selium was the first to produce an Olive Lane uh, single vineyard wine other than a Pellegrini family in 1986. Uh, Olive Lane Pinot Noir. We sell them grapes still to this day. Mary Edwards, of course, who was actually the winemaker at Pellegrini uh, all the lane from seven, uh, starting in 1999 through the early 2000s. Gary Farrell, we sell grapes to, and there's been other people they've sold grapes to in the past. So this is a truly crew vineyard. And people say, well, what do you mean by crew vineyard? Well, French translation is a notable vineyard site that has a history of consistently producing outstanding wine. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Where exactly is the vineyard? Okay, we're located in the heart of Russian River Valley, uh, just about, well, the mailing address is actually Santa Rosa, mm-hmm. although it's really outside the confines of Santa Rosa. But if you were to go, if you knew the topography and the, direct, the geography at all, you'd go north on 101 to River Road and yep. make a left and go west, and you go out River Road about three miles and there's Olivet Road. Make a left on Olivet Road, down about a mile, and we're on a little spur, West Olivet Road, so we're off the main road on a little spur that takes you in uh, to the vineyard and to the winery. So your neighbors are like who? What other wineries are your neighbors? Well, you basically have the likes of, uh, you know, you have Deloach down the road, Inman Family, a number of people, you know, you got Benovia just down the sure, street okay. across from yeah. Piner. I mean, it's there's some notable you're, vineyards. You're, you're there in too. the heart of it, there. Yeah, we're right in the heart of it. And it's the, the vineyard is 60 acres. It's 60 acres producing. Obviously, the parcel's larger because you got a winery on sure. there and other things. But it's 60 acres producing. And all estate fruit in your wines, or do you buy any fruits in? Basically, the, we have two sort of brands, if you will. We have the Pellegrini Russian River Chardonnay and Pellegrini Russian River Pinot Noir. I consider those my, if you will, my village wines like a Burgundian wood, village Appalachian wines. The Chardonnay is primarily Olivet Lane, although it's produced different than we do our crew Olivet Lane Chardonnay, and we'll talk about that when we taste it. The, and there's a little bit of purchase fruit. The uh, Russian River P, uh, Pinot Noir from Pellegrini is primarily Olivet Lane. And then two small vineyards, we buy grapes from that we make very small amounts of single vineyard wine that we sell direct to our consumers out of our tasting room. One is a ranch called Taboni, which is actually not contiguous to us because there's a little parcel between that we'd love to buy that's, <laughs> that's undeveloped, but it's just north of our property. And then there's a small vineyard we buy out in Sebastopol Hills called Hurst, not to be mistaken for Hurst. Not Hurst, right. Hurst is H-U-R-S-T. Small little vineyard out in the Sebastopol Hills that produces really beautiful wine. So what we don't put into the Hearst or the Taboni single vineyard goes into the Russian River. So it's a really high-end village wine. And then the Olive Lane Estate Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are obviously 100% from our vineyard. And what's the production on the wines? The uh, overall production of the winery right now is just about 8,000 cases. Uh, we make the Chardonnay, the Pellegrini Russian River Chardonnay, is the biggest uh, produced wine, about 4,500 cases. Pinot Noir, under 2,000. 
And then uh, all of it lane Chardonnay varies depending on how much grapes we sell that year to other people and vintage. But slightly in excess of 1,000 cases. And then the Pinot Noir is five or 600 cases. Are, the, are, are the ones available retail or are they sort of only in restaurants? Uh, they're available. I mean, in the markets that we're in, they're available to the retailer if they want to buy them. Sure. It's up to them. I mean... What about retail pricing? What are we looking at? Uh, Pellegrini... Russian River Chardonnay is $24. Uh, Pellegrini Pinot Noir is $35. Olivet Lane Chardonnay, $45. And the Olivet Lane Pinot Noir, $65. Okay. Relative bargains in today's world, in my opinion. Uh, I was talking with somebody the other day. You don't want to buy a cheap Pinot Noir. No. <laughs> Just don't do it. <laughs> well, unless you want some Syrah. <laughs> Fair enough. So, should we taste some wine? I would love to. Let's do that. What are we going to start with here? I'm pouring our 2014 Pellegrini Chardonnay. Uh, this is unoaked. No oak at all. No oak at all. It's 100% stainless steel. And uh, our winemaker has a, a methodology of leaf stirring and everything. And we've had a lot of people who taste this wine say, how much oak is in that wine? And we say, well, there's no oak. And they go, really? Okay, what's this methodology of leaf stirring? It's just some method she has that if I was a winemaker, I could speak more authoritatively sure. to, so I choose not to. Okay. You know? my, uh... my tagline for this wine is um, basically no oak, no malolactic conversion. No mellow. Pure Chardonnay. The leaves are there. I mean, it's oh, yeah. got that creaminess on the nose. Wow. It's... Um... It's really cool. It's definitely got that Russian River fruit, but there's a sensibility about it that doesn't let, you know, Russian River fruit, to me at least, can get very showy. It's, right, there. it's right. all about the fruit. and right. This wine, there's a lot more. It's a lot, but a lot more than just the fruit. There's about texture and acidity and really nice. Well, if I could tell you a little story, a digression here that, about this wine. I was fortunate enough to have the CEO from La Chablisian uh, in Burgundy visit us last September. He, you know, for those who probably don't know La Chablisian, they produce one of every four bottles of Chablis produced in France. Very, not just a large co-op, but they own parcels in every one of the crews in Chablis. And so he was coming, uh, Damien Leclerc, and with a friend of mine, because I was helping him get a new district, a new importer in the U.S., and they were coming to say thank you and everything. And I brought him to the winery, and they were tasting wine. And when I poured him the Chardonnay, I started to say, I hope you don't mind, but I call this my... AC or Appalachian Control Chablis. And that was a pretty bold statement, I think, for me to make. But it, we got done with the tasting, and as they were leaving, I was going to take them to lunch. Uh, he, he said, I want to buy two bottles of that and take that back. I yeah, said, well, I said, I can't. Here, take two You're bottles. Right, right. I can't but sell But that it. was a hell of a compliment. Yeah, sure. Wow, that, that's really nice. And that, I'm sorry, you told me the price on that. 20, 24? 24. Retail. So. 24 retail. Very nice. Next wine here is our 2014 Pellegrini Russian River Pinot Noir. This is just being released okay. into the market. Very delicate color. Very delicate. Yeah. He, he, our, again, our winemaker, her effort is what I call, she has the ability to get out of the way of the vineyard. That's her goal. Mm -hmm. Get out of the way of the vineyard. When you have fruit sources like this, you don't need to do much. Oh yeah, that's. Now this is Russian. This speaks for Russian yeah. River to me. 
This this speaks of Russian River. It's got that great red fruit, strawberry and cherry. Well, and there's a real nice sort of persimmon spicy thing here. Yep, yeah, a little spiciness. Well, it's just a little teeny bit of cocoa. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously French oak. Yes. We use all 100% French oak. Um, the crews get about 30% new oak, and the this wine probably about a quarter. The rest is neutral barrel or mm. one, two, three-year-old barrels. And this is what years this is? 2014. The 14, okay. Just been released. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really nice. It's 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 very consistent throughout. It doesn't have any dip in the mid palate, or it's, it's and it's not not overwhelming either. Again, there's a a great balance in the body. It's not all about the fruit, even though it's fruity on the nose. Mm-hmm. It um, nicely balanced wine. Well, one of the reasons I chose to come to work here and to come out of retirement, to be honest with you, is because of the vineyard and the source. I mean, it's like. I never have to apologize for the wines. Not yet, nope. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's nice. Yeah, it's... In fact, I'm actually just starting to taste it to some degree for the first or second or third time because it's just being released. And once mm-hmm. you start to get a bottle... I mean, it's one thing to sit at the winery and taste the wines because the wine, no matter what country, no matter what winery at, always tastes... Better when you're there. You just know that. You've had enough experience, I'm sure, John, to see that. But when you go out in the market and the wine's been subjected to being shipped and the wine's been bounced around on trucks and 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 everything knows what kind of temperature and And then all of a sudden you get to taste it in the market and you go, Oh yeah, that's the wine. Yeah, that's the wine. That must be nice to see that from 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 vineyard to halfway across the country or further. Yeah. And that, that it maintains that that integrity. Great. So now to our crew expressions. I mean, this wine here. The the I'm getting ready to pour uh, you, John, the 13 Olive Lane Vineyard Chardonnay. And uh, this is a. I mean, again, I have this benchmark of Burgundy, and so early on in the process, back last August, I said I came home one night said to my wife, listen, I want you to take this bottle and these other two bottles of wine. I want you to pour them in these three classes. I'm going to go outside. I was benchmarking this for a premier crew, Merceau. So I grabbed a bottle of my friend Alex Gamble's Merceau out of my cellar, a bottle of the Olive Lane Chardonnay, 13, both 13s, and then a, another wine that I had developed at JFW, Jackson Family Wines, called Chardonnay from 13, just for a benchmarking quality. Went outside, my wife poured them, I came in. Tasted the three wines blind, picked out the Chardonnay. I knew that. It was just stylistically different. I mistook the Merceau for the Olive Lane. I mistook the Olive Lane for the Merceau. And I went, okay, I got the right benchmark. Well, it's got a pretty color. It uh, sort of exudes elegance in that color. It's nice and yellow. Uh, wood on this wine? Yep. 30% new French. 30% new French. And then the, the same leaves stirring kind of philosophy? Yeah, she leaves it. It's basically left on its primary leaves, rack right before bottling, mm-hmm. and then bottled. There's definitely that leasy character on the nose. You know, and she has her choice of Coopers for what barrel she buys. She has a mix she likes for, for her mm. signature. but Great texture on this wine. Again, just like the other, 
the wines. They, they, they all have great body. Not, not Again, not showy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, really well integrated. Especially 30% new oak is nice because it's, again, it doesn't separate itself. It just integrates. Yeah, I mean, it. the fruit is, I mean, if you think about this, this would have come from a 38-year-old vines. It's, you know, one of the rarities here is you get a chance to taste California Chardonnay from 30, 40-year-old vines. Not too many of those around. There are not. You know, and you, you and, and, and this is the old heritage Wendy clone. It's um, it's suited to that site. I mean, that's the thing about what is it about one site that produces exceptionally interesting wine, and the neighbor across the street produces Can't, something yeah. totally different. Well, and, and you take it down to Burgundy, and it's oh. what is it about these two rows? Parcel, these parcel, two parcel, rows? parcel. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and that's that's what it is, you know. And the best of the best, as as we determine, is in our Olivet Lane, and the remainder of what we. What goes into the uh, Pellegrini? What's the soil like in the vineyard? You know, it's a very, I don't want to say chalky chalk, but it's a very chalky sort of gold ridge, loamy clay. It's not a lot of rock content, okay. but it's well-drained, and it's it's got some elevation, not a great deal of elevation, but there's a real climatic Thing. In fact, when I was driving uh, out of the winery early on when I was doing some consulting work there before I came on full-time, middle of summer, and I'd drive out our lane and on the lane. By the time I got down to River Road, which is less than a mile, I noticed in my car the temperature would be as much as 7 to 8 degrees warmer. So, And then I started to realize when I was sitting there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there's this wind that just comes through the vineyard at the right angle and because of the way the rows are set up basically north to south comes right through it and it's just a it's got its own unique microclimate you know so it's that combination of right well, that, soil that's and, what would make it the crew right yeah and, and the climate and the clonal selection i mean we we actually just embarked upon at the end of 16 harvest having to replant a little bit of the vineyard we took out 10 acres of Chardonnay because we want to get a mix of 50-50 the Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. The original vineyard was planted 40 acres Chardonnay and 20 acres Pinot. Mm. So we're putting in mm-hmm. 10 acres of Pinot, uh, same scion. We propagated the budwood from the Martini clone. Somebody asked me, were you going to change anything? It's like, no, we're going to not change the clone. We're not orienting the rows any differently we're not changing the spacing we're not going to do anything different it ain't broke don't fix it it's already proved what right. it does we're not going to change anything you know why would we wow you know that's great i know it's hard to pour that out <laughs> yeah really it's you just want to drink that and i can see i mean it's if i were to tell a sommelier around town that you could mistake a russian river uh chardonnay for Marcel. They'd laugh. It, there's really, um, philosophically, they're very similar, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've done the blind tastings. I've done the benchmarking. I'm more than confident uh, in in that analogy, if you will. And this is the 2014. Uh, 14. Just released. Okay. Just released. We'll be released in 2014, Olive Lane Chardonnay, probably within another 60 days. Again, a very delicate color, like... Like 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 the uh, Pellegrini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things I've had the pleasure of doing recently is tasting uh, 
different Oliver Lane Pinot Noirs made by the different producers side by side. It's been an interesting exercise. This uh, this is to me uh. this aroma is everything I love about Pinot Noir. It's a little a little funky, and I say that with love in a, mm-hmm. in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little animalistic. Um, but there's there's a pretty perfumed perfume, perfumed fruit, very floral. God, it's just so complex the nose. Well, it's interesting you say it, John, because this wine has is so nuanced. It when it gets more and more and more bottle aged, I mean, like the thirteen is just actually just starting to blossom. And thirteen Oliver Lane Pinot is just such a nuanced sure, this wine. Is a baby, I mean. I joke with friends, I would call this infanticide. <laughs> it's just way too young to be drinking this wine. Um, this, this wine deserves minimum three to five years before you open up. Not that you can't drink it now and enjoy a lovely bottle of wine. Exactly. But if you want to do it, give it its due. Yeah, it's just oh, it's a, a really nose. nuanced wine. Yeah, yeah then a little bit, little bit of a little bit of tannin, but they're they're silky mm-hmm. and they're integrated. And those, I'm sure, those will calm. Uh, but just it has on the back of the palate what I call that yummy factor. As simple as that sounds, mm-hmm. it's just it's, it, 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 I'm finding it a little lean through the mid palate right now. Mm-hmm. But I think that again with a little bit of time and bottle. It's just got here. It's still, the bottle's probably still a little shock. Exactly. You know? um, yeah, wow. This is pretty wine. And it just keeps going. I just keep tasting and tasting and tasting. And it's, you know, again, flowers and leather and a little bit of funky earth and mushroomy and, you know again, that, the red berries. The flower thing, the one thing that this has slightly that I like about really wonderful red burgundy that you generally do not get in California Pinot Noir. Violet. Yeah. What I call violet of dawn. You know, mm-hmm. that sense of violet. When I was a really young kid, I used to grow violets in my backyard, and I remember that. So it's a it's a sensory thing for me that brings back great memories, you know what I mean? Kid from Detroit. Yeah. Growing, <laughs> growing up, making violet, growing violets in the oh, yard. I, I used to tend the yard, you know. I used to, you know, and I had my own vegetable garden and everything else when I was 10 years old, so. Hmm. Wow, that's, yeah, that's pretty. See that violet thing I'm talking mm-hmm. about there? Just. So, the winery reopened in 13. Correct. How many vintages back does Olivet Lane go? The very first vintage of Olivet Lane was, um, well, the first time it was called Olivet Lane, the first vintage was 78. 78. Have you had the opportunity to go back and taste some of those earlier wines? Unfortunately, no. The family does not have a library. They they just didn't, you know, it is fascinating to me. If you look at the California producers, and I even remember this from my days at Sonoma Couture, and, I, and this is in the late 80s and early 90s, and I'd be holding back 20 cases or 25 cases of late Pierre, and Bryce Jones, the president and founder, would get mad at me. Why don't you sell that? I'd say, you're going to want a library someday. Yeah. Well, that's just white wine. It's not going to age. I said, <laughs> you're going to want a library someday. And they just didn't keep any wines. In fact, the, the one person we rely on and Robert goes to, if he needs something, Mary Edwards still has a backdrop 
of wines from Olivet Lane the, the, that she the, made and that was made in her cellar, kept under the best of conditions from all these years. So the Mary Edwards wine just from Olivet Lane fruit? Or, yes, or, from okay. the Olivet Lane vineyard, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we don't really have much of a library. So when I came in here, I said, we're going to build a library. Yeah, uh, this wine uh, demands it. Yeah, to have a library. Now, I did get a chance to taste the 2009 Pellegrini Olivet Lane estate Pinot Noir that... Uh, his daughter found last year that we were doing a Pinot for him and they wanted an older vintage and she found a 2009 uh, wine that was sitting in her grandmother's cellar somewhere and so that was remarkable in fact when we opened it I was like this wine's young I was I was surprised how young the wine was uh, and it had been in her grandmother's cellar all that time you know well, you, you, you're fairly you, you're, you're not new to the wine world but you're new to the company um, you've been uh, figuring it out. Seems like you've got your arms wrapped around the culture and the product. Obviously, as president, sales is important to you. Mm-hmm. But what's your vision for the future? Well, there's two things I want to accomplish. One is to establish this as a a merchant company that's looked upon as somebody who represents nothing but the finest in in the wine world of what they represent. And the other thing is to get the public at large and the industry in general to understand the value of this crew vineyard and really what it is. To get its just due, I've run into a number of people when I'd go into the marketplace early on about Olivet Lane Vineyard. Oh, doesn't Mary Edwards own that? Or doesn't William Selium own that? Oh, you. In fact, Robert told me a story the other day. He said one person said... Olivet Lane, you were lucky enough to get some fruit from them? And he looks at him and goes, I own the vineyard. And so the family has not done a very good job of uh, branding and getting people to understand, one, their history in the business, and two, that they are the owners of this iconic Monopole vineyard. And so if I can accomplish that to where people identify that with the Pellegrini family and the history that's associated with it, and that they come to understand that anything that is associated with Pellegrini Wine Company, they can trust. It's like in the early days for me, a good friend of mine was Dan Haas. His father, Robert Haas, started one of the finest importers. Well, if you saw a label on with Robert Haas or you saw a label with Kermit Lynch Day or something like that. You knew what that meant. You knew that that or was no, quality. Today, you know what that means with Kermit Lynch. That was quality. Yeah. And so that's what I'm trying to establish larger is the Pellegrini Wine Company is that branding that if it's got a Pellegrini on it, that means it's quality. Well, Fred Reno, president of Pellegrini Wine Company, I love the idea that you're approaching the vineyard as monopole and crew, and I I think those Burgundian philosophies actually are showing through in a wine where out of Russian River it could be a complete divergent uh, from what you're making today. Thanks so much uh, for being my guest. Your wines are really delicious, and I hope to come and see you soon. Well, John, it was a pleasure. Thank you. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpourpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart, and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod.